I think at this time the children will be dismissed. Barbara is going to be teaching junior church this morning and just as they're making their way down, uh, we are going to take a moment to, to pray for Barbara's mom, Alice, uh, who, who's right now, she's just uh, in the hospital struggling with some things. Um, as our body gets older, things don't always work properly and um, we want to bring that before the Lord in prayer. And there's also uh, a few other struggles uh, I, I won't mention from the pulpit, but uh, just thinking of, of what we're looking at this morning, right? Uh, things right now are not as God intended when he created, right? And we sing songs about hope and God's working and God's promises. And uh, this is where it really begins to hit the road. You know, why, why do we pray? Because we know God has his big picture in mind as we go through these things. Um, this week, as I studied, um, just this reality that Satan is working in all areas uh, of the world we live in. Um, we feel opposition. We feel pressure. Um, again, just sickness itself, right, is, is a product of, of, of Satan doing what he's allowed to in our lives. And... Uh, it's important for us to recognize that, right? We have a hope. And uh, the thought behind that is, is Mary and Martha running to Jesus, right? Sickness. Mary and Martha running to that source, learning, learning what he meant by he is the resurrection and the life. And uh, why don't we do that ourselves this morning? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you um, just for getting us quiet this morning. Lord, I think of just with heads bowed and eyes closed, Lord, we are, we are before you in a special way, and we thank you for that. Lord, we all have different needs in our lives right now. Lord, I want to bring up Barbara's mom, Alice, Lord, and, and the hospital in Fredericton right now. Lord, I understand that, that we all, and there, there are different situations that I'm not even aware of this morning, and probably very similar to that. Lord, we pray for those with loved ones that are going through the challenges, um, the physical challenges that, that life sometimes brings. Lord, when I think of just only being allowed visitors from, from two to eight and, and one person at a time, Lord, I pray that you would just bring peace to our loved ones in these, these situations. You would just bring a a rest, a focus on you. And I pray that you'd be with the doctors as they sort through all the unknowns and uncertainties and uh, that you would just do your perfect will in the lives of our loved ones. Lord, when I think of just the topic that it's at hand and the, the, the topic that you've laid on my heart from John 11, the, the recognition that Satan was at work uh, as Jesus made his way to Jerusalem. As Calvary was, was coming closer and closer, Satan, the, the two kingdoms were colliding. Lord, your kingdom and, and Satan, who, who is ruler of this world, Lord. And I pray that we would, in the midst of, of our study this morning, recognize your will, Lord, your spirit at work, but we would also become more aware that Satan is working just as hard. Lord, and I pray that, that we would be able to realize that, that touches every area of our life. And as we make our way through the text, Lord, I pray that we look at this from, from, from beginning to end and realize that the end of the story is written. You win. 
and yet you've called on us to, to bear witness of you and, and be a testimony for you and, and to faithfully just commit ourselves to whatever it is that you ask of us. And I pray that that would just settle in our, our heart and minds this morning. Just pray for me as, 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 as I, I work through this text and uh, just pray again that, that we would have our eyes open to just how desperate we need to be for you. And I pray these things in your precious name. Amen. Well, turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 11. And uh, as we've been working through, we've looked at the victory, we've looked at um, some of the details. And there was one, one aspect that I really felt this week as I studied that needs to be looked at, and that is spiritual warfare. That is Satan's presence in and through John 11 and 12. And really, uh, we've been reading this for over a month now. And we understand as Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem, we understand that, that the raising of Lazarus was to exalt and glorify God. And it was to show and exalt Jesus in the minds and hearts of the people as the Son of God. And we see this take place from the beginning of John chapter 11 and its effects right to the end of John chapter 12. Satan is very real in and through this. Satan is working in so many different ways. Jesus had come as the real God-man to sit on a very real throne. As Jesus is, is, is making his way, and again, Calvary is just only a couple weeks away, he was committed to God's purposes. And we find our application this morning realizing that Satan was opposing everything that Jesus did. Every truth he tried to, to teach and show the people following him. Even in Mary and Martha's case, how they understood eternity, a very important topic right where do I go when I die what happens to my loved one we were there Friday night with our teens a friend of mine overdosed on Tuesday night where is he now right it all hinges on on what you believe about Jesus is he the son of God have you placed your faith in him that is the hinge point but Satan is opposing that even as we read through this text there's a real desperation that's needed for what Jesus is teaching them. There's a real urgency that comes with recognizing that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. And I thought to myself this week, would the church, would the people, would God, the people of the church be more desperate for the things of Christ, for the prayer, for, for, for the reading and the learning of the word, for the gathering? Would we be more desperate if we understood that Satan is, is a trying to oppose everything that Christ is trying to do in and through us. So come with me. And, and, and that desperation and urgency is just recognizing that God is real and so is Satan. Come with me to verse 17 of John chapter 11. It says this, So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Mary and Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, 
If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. The truth. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? I really believe that this week as I, I read that, that's the line that's here. Right? Do you believe this? Do you believe what Jesus is saying to you? And just as hard and, and, and as desirous as Jesus, as God is asking you this question, Satan is asking the same question, just in a different way. <laughs> do you believe this? Like, really, do you believe this? That's the hinge point, right? God is, is desiring all of you, and, and Satan is desiring all of you all at once. Spiritual warfare is real. Read with me verse 27. She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the world. Can we agree this morning that Satan is real? Can we agree this morning that he is, he is actively at work in the world? Right, we can agree. Can we agree this morning he's actively at work? We'll bring it closer to our families. Right, we can see that. Can we agree this morning that he's actively at work in our own lives? And I think we all need to say yes. And, and if not, our eyes are not open to that struggle that's going on this morning. When we read this narrative of Jesus and why he has come, it, it's for the purpose of showing them that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. If you turn with me, and I mean it should be, shouldn't be any more obvious than what Jesus has been showing them and teaching, John chapter 12, we understand as Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem, he, he's meeting people that are already making decisions. The spiritual battle is already taking place. Verse 37, right? And this didn't just all of a sudden happen a chapter later. This is going on. These are the people that he's coming to. John chapter 12, 37 says, but although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe. Satan's working. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the God of this age was veiling them to the gospel that Jesus was showing them through the signs, explaining to them through his words that the word of Isaiah, the prophet, might be fulfilled, which he spoke. Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? There's, there's almost a mockery there. Therefore, they could not believe because Isaiah said again. And here we have people making their own decisions Allowing their hearts to be hard and following after what Satan is explaining to them. He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. Satan's at work. As Jesus is coming, people are making these decisions of faith. They're already deciding. 
And when we come to that place of understanding um, that people were saying no to God, no to God's Son, no to God's grace, we understand saying no to God is very serious business, isn't it? Saying no to God is very serious business. These people's religion did not include a, a, a God of the Bible, God of their scriptures. These people Jesus was coming to, it did not include following Christ. You follow that thought through. The people Jesus is ministering to would have nothing to do with the church that would begin in two months. They didn't want this Jesus. Their hearts were hardened to it. There needs to be a reality check this morning, an eye opening to what Satan is doing around us and his tactics. When I read that verse in John 11, verse 17, so when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. He found a lot more than just a dead man in the tomb, didn't he? Right? When you look at this as good students of the word, chapter 11 to the end of chapter 12, you realize there was a lot more going on here. When Jesus came, it was with the purpose, and we understand that Jesus is the King of kings, Lord of lords, and he didn't just come randomly. When you look at this, it was time. It was God's time for him to come. Jesus was following, and this is the carpenter in me, he was following God's blueprints. As he came, that this, this was not chance, right? As Jesus came to this home, this was not random, right? And we live in a world where, where people are, are trying to function in, in chaos and uncertainty, and they are living, believing that everything operates by chance, right? We live in a world that, that, that is advocating and promoting, and I mean it, it's scary to listen to people talk, but, but they're, they're telling us that, that life is out of control, right? Things are out of control. We're all looking for something to, to, to set things right. Um, we're all looking for someone to lead us, right? Life is out of control. We recognize here, and I mean, again, life is not random. What is going on is not taking place for chance, the world is telling us life and, and the world is out of control. The devil is trying to tell us that no one is in control. Right? Have we heard that? Have we heard that in our conversations? What are we looking for? When we think of just even what we, we've been hearing, uh, man will fix this. Time will fix this. Science will fix this. Us closer together will fix this. And I think to this, right, when Jesus came, it was God's intentional time, right? Life is not random, life is not chance, and the church's response needs to be, no, Christ came to fix this, right? The church holds the solution that will fix this. The church holds uh, what we need to direct our hearts and, and our needs and cares. The, the church holds what we have, the solution and I think to myself, how, how we use that. We hold the solution to what's going on around us. Verse 17, so when Jesus came, this wasn't random, this wasn't chance, this was purposed, it was intentional. And from there we understand that when Jesus came, he found a lot more than just a dead man in the tomb. He found Satan's handiwork everywhere. I want us to take just a moment 
And, and we've covered very thoroughly in our study together um, through, through John 11, that the sickness, God's time, and what the resurrection means in that Jesus had come to stand up Israel and bring in the covenant. But I want us to come to verse 33 just to consider. Because if you've read this, and I'm sure we all have there over the years, right? The, the idea of Jesus groaning, what was he groaning over? Right? And in verse 33, we read, Therefore Jesus saw her weeping. Mary had come out. Verse 32, Mary came where Jesus was, saw him. She fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I mean, that, that's grabbed my attention. Why these questions? Why does there seem to be, be uh, no assurance or no hope here? But verse 33, Therefore when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her weeping... He groaned in the spirit and was troubled. We may remember us mentioning that, that word troubled. Um, if we were in our Bible study, I'd ask if anybody had a different word in their versions. But um, that word troubled in the Greek speaks to, to stir and to agitate. Right? And, and Jesus isn't just groaning for no reason here. It, the picture is a boiling pot. It's a roiling Jesus is agitated here, right? Is, is it at, the, is at the, his loved ones, Mary and Martha, who are asking these questions? No, I, I don't see that in the text. So as you read this verse, what, what is he groaning in the spirit? What is he, he roiling at a boil, like a boiling pot? What is he agitated over? As Jesus came, he could see Satan's handiwork everywhere. Who else would he be angry with? That, that sin, right? What Satan had done in the garden. And then we'll look at this picture in the brief time we have there. But, but what, who else would he be angry over? It was what Satan was doing, right? To, to distract, detour, um, discourage. To, uh, just, 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 just ruin why he had come. And, 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 and it, it's Satan here. So when Jesus came, he finds Satan's handiwork everywhere. The verse 33 speaks to him groaning in the spirit, and he was troubled. He was agitated. Right? Could he have been agitated towards the religious hardness we just read about in John chapter 12? Right? The hardening of hearts. The, 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 the distractions that were coming from, from Jesus explaining to them there. No, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the assurance and hope. I am the person that you need to trust in fully. Right? It's, it's no. And, and as we understand that Satan takes that and he twists that, from there this picture of a rubber band being twisted. There's a tension building. Right? There's decisions being made. It's getting tighter and tighter as we get closer to Calvary. We remember last week and, and, and even back to when Jonathan was, was preaching a couple weeks ago, the disciples, as they followed Jesus, thought they were on a death mission. Do we remember that? In verse 16, right? Thomas says, who's called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Right? Read that with me. There was a tension. Right? These disciples there were, were, were prepared to lose their lives. They understood that, that, that Satan was, was working overtime here. The political tension was climbing between Rome and the Pharisees in the physical and the spiritual realms. Sometimes we disconnect this. 
When we think of Ephesians 6.12, right? We know that verse, right? For we do not wrestle against principality, against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Right? We know that verse. We know there's spiritual warfare going on. We know Satan is working overtime. Does that make it its way into our reading here? As Jesus is seeking, right? As Jesus is seeking to lead these people, as he's preparing them for, for what God was calling them to, Satan was working overtime. We can't leave Satan out of this picture. Satan can't be very far away. Even we see in verse 2, when we look at Lazarus being sick, understanding where sickness begins. Understanding where, where it originates from. It wasn't part of God's intent. Satan can't be very far away in Lazarus' sickness, death, and grieving hearts of his family, especially when we consider how God operates. Turn with me to Job real quickly. Book of Job, chapter 1. Job, Psalms, Proverbs. Sickness, death, spiritual warfare, the, the idea of, of, of God's kingdom and Satan's kingdom colliding. Job, chapter 1. When we come here, verse 6, and I think almost everybody could tell me a little bit about Job. They understood he was a, verse 1 explains that he was a blameless and upright man, one who feared God and shunned evil. But all of a sudden, what happens? This man starts going through testing. We start seeing sickness, right? We start seeing him losing his possessions, right? And, and all the question is why, right? How does God operate in this way? Verse 6 now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. Is Satan real this morning? Well, very real, right? Does he come up in our conversations very often? <laughs> Krista says yes, yeah. It, 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 it needs to. He's very real, right? He, he, he's, the kingdoms are colliding always. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from growing to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Right? Satan is, is roaring, seeking whom he made to devour. We know that. But when we're going through a, a crisis situation, when there's sickness, right? when there's death, when, there, when there's sin, right? we're, we're not so quick to include our, our awareness of what, what Satan is doing. Keep reading with me. Then the Lord said, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on earth, and blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work on his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. If you underline your Bibles, it would be verse 12. We recognize who, is, who has control, who has power, who is sovereign. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold all that he has in your power, but only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord.
God is in control of these things, but Satan is working. Right? God is in control of these things. I want to get that through there. God is in control, but Satan is working. God uses sickness. God uses um, death. God uses infirmities. God uses trials, right? But it's for his purposes. So even the fact that Lazarus is sick here, we understand that there are two kingdoms taking place, right? We recognize God working and Satan working. Before we go, we don't have time to read all of it. Chapter 2, verse 10 of Job just says this. He said to her, Job's responding to, to his wife who's encouraging him. <laughs> he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and shall we not accept adversity? Understanding that, that, that there are two kingdoms. God is in control, but God, God's purposes, right? And sometimes that, that calls upon sickness, right? And sometimes we're called to suffer for his glory. So come back to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. You know, and that, that, that presence, we understand Satan is at work here. We understand God's, God's being glorified through this, but we also understand that Jesus is being oppressed. There's confusion. There, there's things going on here. And when we recognize his presence there, all of a sudden these two chapters start taking in an application because and there are so many different areas of our own life that are affected by Satan's working. We're often called upon to suffer for his kingdom uh, as a work, a witness, a testimony, uh, even if one person is saved through our suffering, right, it, it, it's, it, it's part of God's plan. Jesus brought the colliding kingdoms. As Jesus made his way to Jerusalem, he expected it. He prepared for it. When I think about just the, the, the voice and what he was trying to explain to the people, and it comes down to, to how the Jew operated and function during the funeral, present, uh, funeral arrangements. If you read with me, when we come down to verse, again, uh, verse 19, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Mary and Martha to comfort them concerning their brother. You start studying this out, and, and it would be a neat thing, and I put in my notes, I, I want you to learn with me this morning, because Satan causes a lot of confusion around eternity, right? A lot of, lot of conversations, uh, part of it, and, and I scratched out, but maybe I'll share it just real quickly. Part of it is, is people taking a little bit of truth, adding their opinion as to what they think eternity holds, and producing a, a well, nothing short of heresy, right? And heresy leads to heartaches. Heartache, heartaches, no assurance, no hope, and as we study through what, what Jewish um, practices, rituals there is, as they followed here, when Jesus came, he found that he had been in the tomb for four days, which meant that the Jewish funeral was coming to a close. Okay, it was coming to a close. Mary and Martha's hopes, and I'm going to say it this way, hopefully to, to catch some attention, Mary and Martha's hopes of Lazarus' spirit returning to his body and him waking up, we're gone. Right? Stop, you say there, that doesn't sound right. His spirit returning to his body? You know, that, 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 that doesn't sound biblical, and you're correct, that's not right. But that's what Jewish people, Jewish followers, were practicing at that time. 
They had a, a, a ritual, and, and it came out of Babylon, Babylonian captivity, where they believed that as somebody died, their loved one, their spirit hovered over top of their bodies for three days. Right? And think with me. They, they earnestly hoped and prayed. They, they, they had people from the family that would read psalms and sing songs during that time, hoping that that loved one would take up residence again in that body. Now think with me, how, how heart-wrenching and anguish that would be. You know, the, the questions, you know, no, no, no assurance. I mean, what do we believe? 2 Second, Second Corinthians 5.8, absent from the body, present with the Lord, right? There's a peace, we know that. But for these ladies in this situation, there was, a, there was a, a deepest longing desire that Lazarus' spirit, his immaterial parts, would come back into his body and he would walk out on his own. But after three days, that hope is gone. Right? Now I say that because as Jesus comes, Jesus looks over the situation and sees Satan's handiwork everywhere. I can guarantee you that that was not what Jesus was teaching them. <laughs> Right? As Jesus preached, and, and we'll look at these verses here in a second there, of assurance, I am the resurrection and the life. Right? I am the bread of life. I mean, he kept saying, I am the Christ, the son of the living God there. That was not what Jesus was teaching. And yet, as he comes to this Jewish home of the people that he agape loved, they weren't following his teaching. They were following religion. Right? With the heartache and, and, and everything that goes with it. So let me get back to my notes here. Jewish funerals consisted of, and Jesus had been explaining to the Jewish people for three and a half years now that it is he who gives life, right? All through, all through the Gospel of John, it's Jesus who gives life, that he had been sent from the Father, spoke for the Father. It was through him that eternal life came. And as Jesus, three and a half years, he'd been teaching that. But the religious culture here, as Jesus comes to this situation, the religious culture was too much to set aside. Right here we have uh, culture trumping truth. And we see it all the time, don't we? Right? Culture trumping truth. Why do we do the things at funerals that we do? Have you ever asked that question? Right? There are some different practices. I should have maybe had a conversation with Wayne of some of the, the odd things he's been asked to do at funerals. Right? What do people reach out uh, for closure at the loss of a loved one? Why do we do what we do? Right? It, 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 it's... It's religious confusion at times. I want you to think this morning as Jesus is standing there and the funerals is taking place around him and they're making their way to the grave and, and you've got the professional mourners, you've got the, the ladies, you've got the family, everything going on there. I want you to think about it's God standing in their midst here. Right? It's God in the flesh standing in their midst going, why are you doing this? Right, why, why is this taking place? I am the resurrection and the life. I am where your assurance, where your hope rests. I put in a, a side note for here, and there seems to be a few this morning, even just thinking when we're planning funerals. Right? Who's supposed to be getting the glory from that? Right? Who's supposed to be the center? Is Christ not supposed to be the center of our funerals as well? Why, why are we doing what we're doing, right? Who is being glorified in this, right? Because the, the bottom line is don't expect it just to happen because it doesn't, right? We have to be intentional with this. The Jewish Shemaira, let me just explain it this way. 
The Jews had developed somewhere along the time of their Babylonian captivity some really odd, unbiblical, pagan practices when it came to looking at life after death. We were having a lunch with a Romanian couple who used to live in Montreal um, years ago, and he remembers that they still follow some of these practices where they, they, they observe it for three days, waiting and praying and singing, hoping the spirit would come back to the body. So it's a very real thing here. Jewish culture, the concept, the idea, and we understand Satan is behind it. They did not completely understand the assurance of eternal salvation in God's presence. They didn't, they didn't grasp that. That wasn't, wasn't completely set before them. Jesus was trying to teach it. Dying was terrifying to them. Heartbreaking, brokenness. I put depression, despair at the loss of a loved one. That assurance, that security. The Jews in Jesus' time believed that for three days after someone had died, there was a chance, a slim hope, that the soul that they had thought hovers over the body might return to the body and become alive again. During the three days, these folks had family members read and sing psalms and prayers in the tomb areas, encouraging the spirit of the deceased while it journeyed through this process. Hmm. The Jews would hire mourners to wail, make lots of noise. The more people you knew to come out, the better. The more comfort was supposed to be experienced. They would cover themselves in sackcloth, sit in their homes in the misery of questions, what kind of questions would they be asking? Think about that. Three days hoping that they come back to their body. Did they make it to God? Is he gone forever? Those, those questions of uncertainty. What does eternity look like? What does my eternity look like? When we think of Jesus had explained this to them, taught to his, his disciples, he preached this before the religious rulers, and yet somehow, somewhere along the line, people just fell back to rather what they think rather than the Scriptures. I think part of me this morning just wants to close, and I think we will. I want to close making sure there is no religious confusion this morning as to our assurance and hope. I want to close this morning understanding that that Satan, when it comes to eternity, when it comes to funerals, when it comes to, to practices, even what we think, Satan is doing everything in his power to distract us from the promises that Jesus has given us. The Jew here had to be told to stop looking to the hills from whence their help comes from. Who's heard that at funerals before? Right? The Jew had to be told, stop looking to the hills from whence your help comes from because he had come. Right? Do we hear that this morning? Jesus standing in their midst had come. He is the resurrection and the life. They had to stop looking. Jesus had come. And we know this morning he came with his divine promises and we understand that he's coming again. And when he comes again, it's going to be with a shout, a trumpet sound. And the dead and Christ are going to rise first. So this morning, instead of looking to the hills and understanding that, that we live and, and we have people in our circles and our bubbles, um, 
that are in religious confusion. I just want to read some verses with you. Jesus had promised these women and men and the people there. Turn with me to John 3.16. Jesus had promised these people, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. These people had these truths, right? That is the assurance of our eternal life as a born-again believer. Read verse 36 of the same chapter with me. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Right? It's promises that Jesus had been teaching. Right? They have this. This is eternal, everlasting life. Turn over to John chapter 5, verse 24. And I'm putting them this way because this is, this is what we hold. This is what we're sharing. This is what's supposed to take precedence in our times of uncertainty over grief. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word, Jesus speaking, and believes in him who sent me, has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment but has passed from death to life. Faith in Christ, that's our assurance and hope. It's in Jesus. John chapter 6, verse 40, and I'm just systematically working our way through this. These believers had these truths. And this is the will, John 6, 40, and this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. There should be no religious confusion. Satan should not be able to twist and take us to a place of doubt, uncertainty, or hurting hearts when it comes to this. John chapter 10, verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Shouldn't just be a proof text for us. Right? We see Jesus, he's been teaching this, placing this before the people. Satan's at work, they were making decisions in their hearts. And I give them eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Lastly, John 11 Verse 25 to 27. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? We're back to that hinge point, right? Back to that hinge point. She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ the Son of God who has come into the world. We're going to see Satan's workings more and more, aren't we? As we are in what the Bible calls the last days. As we see more and more confusion, as we see more and more truth and a little bit of baloney equaling heresy, um, which means we're going to see more and more hurting people, right? And more and more people needing these verses. Needing to see where our, or just our, not just, oh yeah, I trust Jesus. Needing that, that hope that we have. And it's not an idea, it's not a thought. And I just thought as a, a good close, as we recognize that uh, 
there's two kingdoms colliding, right? And we forget that and we end up in a, a dire place. I thought we'd close with a song, that last song. We'll just sing, uh, I think we'll sing all four verses. Um, it's very quick, but my hope is in the Lord, right? And I want us to understand that we're not taking this, we can't take this for granted. Stand with me. My hope is in the Lord who gave himself for me and paid the price of all my sin at Calvary. For me he died, for me he lives, and everlasting life and light he freely gives. Your merit of my own, his anger to suppress, my only hope is found in Jesus' righteousness. For me, he died. For me, he lives. And everlasting life and light he freely gives. And now for me, he stands. Before the Father's throne, He shows His wounded hands and names me as His own. For me He died, for me He lives, and everlasting life and light He freely gives. Last verse. His grace has planned it all, tis mine but to believe, and recognize His work of love and Christ receive. For me He died, for me He lived, and everlasting life and light He freed. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much uh, for your plan of grace. Lord, I thank you for your Son. I thank you for just just being able to open your word this morning and, and understand that um, there is a very real battle going on. Lord, we recognize it in our own hearts. Uh, we recognize it in our families and close friends, Lord, our community. Lord, the world we live in, it's so evident. Lord, I pray that we would not be caught unaware. We would be spiritually aware of, of what you're doing as well as, as what Satan's doing, and we would properly pray on that armor of God. We would properly gather and, and reach out for help, Lord. Phone call, friends, Lord, we, we can't handle this on our own, Lord. And that we would guard against pride. Lord, when I think of, of, of just needing to be humble to resist the devil, Lord, and I pray that we would do this together and that you would just raise up your church to be a powerful force, Lord, you seek and desire to rule through us and uh, 
Lord, I pray that we're willing and surrendered to that. We thank you for what you're doing, and I just pray that you would guide us even the rest of this day as we give this day to you and pray these things in your precious name. Amen.